Tonight we're going to be talking about the main lesson in Psalms. 40 minutes for the book Psalms. Are you ready? When you start talking about the main lesson in the book of Psalms, it's easy. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's a no-brainer. We, we know what the book of Psalms really is all about. So, on the one hand, we think, well, that, that's pretty simple to talk about. But when we start talking about praising God, and I think that's what the main lesson of the book of Psalms is, praise God. But when we start looking at how the book of Psalms praises God, and from where God is praised in the book of Psalms, it gets a little more complicated. And it makes us kind of squirm in our seats just a little bit. But we'll get to that in a few minutes. Because we're going to begin, first of all, just talking about the book of Psalms itself. Some things about the book of Psalms. Uh, what, what, what's the book of Psalms best known for? You're going to have to talk louder than that because I can't really hear anything that's being said. Well, the 23rd Psalm, that, that's one of the best known passages of Scripture in the entire Bible, but the entire book itself, biggest book, longest book in the Bible, isn't it? Uh, we know it's a collection of all of these psalms. There are some things that we know about the book of Psalms or for which the book of Psalms is known that are just, just pretty evident right up front. But for the most part, most of us have not taken the time to say, okay, let's just take a minute and let's actually look at this book and what we've got here in our Bibles what name, what person's name is most frequently associated with the book of Psalms? David. Do you know how many of the Psalms David's name is directly attached to? 73. Less than half. Uh, David is not attached to all of the Psalms. Uh, as a matter of fact, there are... There, there is this thought that there was a, a way of talking about the book of Psalms. I'll get this out here in just a minute. Uh, there's a couple of the Psalms that do not have David's name attached to it in the Old Testament as they appear, but when they're quoted in the New Testament, David's name is attached. And one of those places is in, is in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 7 where it just simply says that this is said, "...in David, in David." And it seems as though the idea there could be, and many th people think it was, that they were thinking it's in the book of David, that the entire book of Psalms was referred to as the book of David, although David did not write all of the Psalms. There are other names that are attached to the Psalms. The second most frequent name is Asaph. Yeah, exactly. We say, oh... Who is that? Twelve times. Eleven times the name Korah is attached to one of these psalms. 
And then finally, with the, with the third, or this would be the fourth most frequent name, and it's only twice, but it's Solomon. Another well-known name that is attached to one of the Psalms is Moses. And that one kind of catches folks off guard. But uh, David, as we said, 73 times. And these, these names are attached in what are called the headings of the Psalms. And we're going to come back to those here in just a, in just a little bit. And so, yes, David is the name that is most frequently associated with this book. But uh, the book of Psalms is actually, in reality, it is a collection of collections of Psalms. A collection of collections of Psalms. Um, I think sometimes our understanding of, of the writing of Scripture is a little too simplistic. Uh, that is, for instance, we may have thought that David just sat down and during the course of his life he wrote 150 different psalms. Well, that's not how it worked. Uh, he wrote a number of them and apparently there were those who were collecting psalms. And then at another later time someone collected some collections of psalms. And what we end up with then in the book of Psalms is this collection of collections of psalms. Now, that does not in any way, shape, or form take away from the inspiration of this portion of Scripture. We're still talking about the inspired Word of God. But I want you to notice this with me. I hope you have your Bible with you. Uh, look, for instance, at Psalm... Uh, well, let's go over to Psalm 42 first. Look at Psalm 42. And I, I don't know how, you know, different Bibles are laid out differently, and so I don't know how this might appear in your Bible. But look, look at Psalm 42. Do you see something above where it says Psalm 42? What does it say? Book 2. Because if you go back to Psalm 1, at the beginning, right before it says Psalm 1, it says Book 1. Psalm 1 through 41 is Book 1. In the book of Psalms. Did you know the book of Psalms was a compilation of five books? And so 1 through 41 is book 1. 42 through 72 is book 2. So look at the, just above Psalm 73 or just before Psalm 73, it's book 3. Uh, then you go through uh, that 73 through 89, 90 through 106 is book 4, 107 through 150 is book 5. How many of you knew that there were five books of Psalms in the book of Psalms? I think I see three hands. That's just something that most people had, had never even noticed. They weren't even aware of that fact. But we have these five books that are collected together that comprise the book of Psalms. I want you to notice... This, look at the end of book 2, which would be at Psalm 72 and verse 20. You got that? Psalm 72 and verse 20. You see what that says? The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Ended. Well, that's... That's not the last psalm attributed to David in the book of Psalms. That apparently was the conclusion of one of these collections of psalms. Now there are some other indications of collections or at least the arrangements of some of these psalms. Um, well, actually, before we get to that, 
The book of Psalms, okay, we said it's mostly associated with David, so we think of the time frame of David. But the earliest psalm apparently is attached to, and we've already mentioned the man's name, Moses. So the first of the psalms actually begins with Moses. Any idea when you get to the other end what the last, apparently the last psalm is attached to? Not Solomon. It's Psalm 137. Uh, this, this is actually a uh, fairly well-known, at least some of the, the language of this psalm uh, is well-known because it was taken, uh, the words of it were taken and used in a, in a song, a pop song at one point in time. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion. What are we talking about? Babylonian exile, the captivity. We're, we're getting close to the end of Old Testament history. So from Moses to the Babylonian exile, that's the, that's the historic uh, parameters, if you will, for the book of Psalms. Uh, we mentioned earlier the headings that are found in the book of uh, in Psalms. The first one is going to be found on Psalm 3. Turn to Psalm 3. And if, if your Bible has these and... I think most all of them do, that now not all, not all 150 psalms have headings, okay? Uh, but if you look here at Psalm 3, which is going to be the first one to have one of these headings, between where it says Psalm 3 and verse 1, you're going to probably see some words there. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So here is an example of this psalm being ascribed to, specifically, to David. And it puts it in a historical context of David's fleeing from his son Absalom. Now the thing about these headings that you need to remember, you've got to be careful with them. The, the headings are not Scripture. The headings are not as old as the psalms themselves. Uh, some of them just aren't accurate at all. Um, look over at Psalm, I believe it's 5. Yeah, Psalm 5. Notice this one is also said to be a psalm of David. But in verse 7, it says, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in fear of you. Do you see a problem there? Uh, the temple was not built until after David's life, was it? So the, the headings are interesting, and sometimes they do give us some insights, but they're not absolutely reliable. They are not Scripture. They were added at some time, a long time ago, but they, they are not themselves Scripture. So you need to be aware of the headings, uh, but you also need to know that eh, they, they, they're they're are some errors in those. When we look at the Psalms, we are looking at absolutely remarkable worship literature, inspired worship literature, that, that has come to us through the ages. 
Historically, the Psalms have comprised and informed the voice of praise to God throughout the centuries. I want you to read these words to you. These come from Thomas Merton. In the Psalms, we drink divine praise at its pure and stainless source in all its primitive sincerity and perfection. The Psalms are not only the songs of prophets inspired by God, they are the songs of the whole church, the very expression of her deepest inner life. The words and thoughts of the Psalms spring not only from the unsearchable depths of God, but also from the inmost heart of the church. And there are no songs which better express her soul, her desires, her longing, her sorrows, and her joy. It's been my experience that the Psalms have remained a vast, untapped resource to enrich our praise and worship of God. We mentioned Psalm, 100, or Psalm 23 earlier, about gave it away. What's another Psalm that is well known for its longevity? 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. Uh, it, 176 verses long. It's that chapter that when you're doing your daily Bible reading, you get to that and you say, I've got to read all this before I can go to sleep tonight? Well, we're not dealing with something here where, you know, we just have a long-winded songwriter. The, the 119th Psalm is a piece of literary genius. It's an acrostic. It's an alphabetic acrostic. Now, just very simply said, an alphabetic acrostic is you take the letters of the alphabet and as you progress through, the, each next letter is going to be the, the first word or something uh, as you go through whatever it is you're writing. Now, the 119th Psalm, uh, look over there, 100, Psalm 119. What, what do you have right before verse 1? You see a word there? Aleph. Right before verse 9. Beth. Right before verse 17. Gimel. These are the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. This psalm is an alphabetic acrostic. So there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet... And under each of, for each of those letters, there are eight stanzas. And each stanza begins with the letter for that section. So the first eight verses, each stanza begins with the letter Aleph. Now, lost in translation, okay? We don't, we don't catch that at all in our English translation. So you take 22 letters and you devote eight stanzas or verses each to each letter, then how many verses or stanzas do you end up with? 176. This is, this is ingenious. It is ingenious. That's what's behind the 119th Psalm. And that's even before you start talking about what that psalm's about. It's about the exaltation and the admiration of the very Word of God. So, Psalm 119. Uh, just just one, 
one example. Okay, so we need to actually spend some time while we're uh, talking about what we're supposed to be talking about, and that is the main lesson from the book of Psalms. And that main lesson is praise God. Psalm 119 is the longest. What's the shortest? Two previous. Psalm 117. Psalm 117 is the, is the psalm that you hope shows up in your Bible reading schedule on the night that you're really, really tired. Two verses. But it expresses well what this book is all about. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. For great is His steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. When we think about praising God... Uh, that's just one of those ideas that, that we respond to just by saying, well, of course, of course, praise God. How, how good are we at praising God? We're not very good. We, we praise God mostly in the songs, the hymns that we sing. And if someone hadn't written those words out there for us, we wouldn't know what to say, would we? I think the church would be bettered. And I think our spiritual lives would be greatly enriched. If we would learn the language of the Psalms in praising God. I want you to think, I want you to think about our praying our personal praying, and our public praying. Now, this is the first time I've ever been in in the Choctaw Church building. But I have a feeling that if I were to to come, and and I'm, I'm I'm not saying this disparagingly at all, but I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. I think I could come here to a worship assembly, and one of the good brothers would lead in prayer, And there's a lot of it that I could say with him verbatim, word for word, couldn't I? Why do we pray the way we pray? Because that's how we've heard others pray. That's exactly why. We learn our praying, modeling it after what other people pray and how they pray and what they say when they pray. And consequently, we end up with prayers that all sound rather similar, don't they? What if, what if the Psalms informed our praying? What if our prayers modeled the language of the Psalms? These are just some statements that come from the Psalm. There's no references here as to exactly where they came from. Help me, O Lord my God. With my mouth I will give thanks to the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Your praises endure forever. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. 
Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks down, far down on the heavens and the earth? That's some beautiful expressions of praise and adoration to God, isn't it? Come straight from Scripture. If it's fine for me to pray my prayers the way I heard my dad pray his prayers, or the way I heard Brother Murray pray his prayers at church when I was growing up, or Brother Davenport, or whoever, what's wrong with me praying my prayers the way David prayed his prayers? That's some beautiful language. And we're not, we're not trying to be flowery, showy. We're not trying to impress anybody. But God is worthy of our praise. Amen. And what better place to learn how to praise Him than from the Psalms. When we praise God... It is God whom we praise. One interesting exercise sometime when you read through the book of Psalms, get you a notebook and fresh paper and pen and start writing down the descriptions of God that you find in the Psalms. We are praising God. We are praising the one who is righteous, just, compassionate, merciful, faithful, upright, trustworthy, gracious, holy. He actually dwells in holiness. He's majestic, great, eternal, awesome, glorious, the king of glory, mighty and exalted. He is creator, king, judge, and savior. He knows, he sees, he listens, he understands, he remembers. He delivers, he disciplines, he blesses and forgives, restores and saves. He is counselor, protector, sustainer, comforter, guide, helper, and refuge. He is the doer of great and wondrous things. He is the helper of the helpless and the lifter of my head. Praise God, the God revealed in Psalms. Praise His name. His name, which is Lord, my glory. Righteous God, righteous judge, the Most High, my shepherd, the King of glory, the God of my salvation, faithful God, my exceeding joy, the Lord of hosts, the one enthroned from of old, the one of Sinai, the Holy One of Israel, the rock of my salvation, Almighty, our Maker, the great God and King above all gods, holy and awesome is His name. Praise the name of God. Praise God. But another thing that the book of Psalms shows us about praising God is from where we praise God. This is where it gets a little uncomfortable. First of all, we praise God from the sunshine. We praise God when things are good. Life is good, things are good, good things are happening, and we say praise God, and that's exactly how it should be. Every good and perfect gift comes from God, and when He showers those gifts in our lives, by all means, praise God. 
but that's easy. We don't do it enough, but it's still easy. It's easy to praise God when things are good. We've also got to learn to praise God from not just the sunshine, but also from the shadows. You know what it's like to stand in a shadow? Sometimes you're looking for a shadow, aren't you? We got over to Choctaw just a little bit early and decided we're going to find a place where we can just sit in in the car for just a little bit. We were looking for a shadow. We were looking for some shade. But from from the shadow, you can can see the sunshine. It's, It's right over there. You know, sometimes life's like that, isn't it? You find yourself in the shadows. You can see the sunshine. You're just not experiencing it right now. And a lot of the psalms are like that. A lot of the psalms give expression to to difficulty and hardship. Um, Look at Psalm 4 for just a second. Answer me when I call, O O God, my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer, O men. How long shall, you, uh, shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Here's a psalm from the shadows. There's some distress here. There's some trouble. There's some difficulty. But I can see the sunshine. I know God's there. He's blessed me before. I'm confident He's going to bless me again. We're going to get through this. We know what it's like to be in the shadows in life. And we should praise God from the shadows. I think we all agree with that. But I think the book of Psalms also shows us that we we need to praise God from... The darkness. I can't see the sunshine. You know what? I'm beginning to wonder if it's going to shine again. Lord, what's going on here? I thought you loved me. I thought you cared for me. This hurts. I don't like it. Lord, why are you doing this to me? Turn over with me to Psalm 88. There are um, psalms. Men, men have tried classifying the psalms into different types of psalms. You know, there are psalms of praise. There are psalms or historical psalms that recount a lot of historical events. One of the classifications that is used, with which we are sorely unfamiliar, are the laments. We are not good lamenters. We are not good expressing to God our hurt, our pain, our sorrow, our anguish, our anger, our frustration. We're not good at it at all. What we're good at is there is sunshine in my soul today. Faith and hope and love. Blue skies and rainbows and sunbeams from heaven. That's what we're good at. Well, there's nothing wrong with those. Nothing wrong with those at all. 
Praise God for those days that are blue skies and rainbows. But every day is not blue skies and rainbows. Sometimes the days are dark and there is no sun and there is storm and there are threats and we're wondering why in the lord does the why in the world does the lord let this kind of stuff happen to his people laments we're lousy at laments and it's to our detriment there are two laments in the book of Psalms that are they, they are the ultimate because there is not even a ray of hope expressed in those laments. Nothing. Most every other one of them that does express even deep anguish to God, most all of them at least hold out the, the hope and the prospect that this is going to get better sometime. But there are two of them, Psalm 39 and Psalm 88. Nothing. Psalm 88, beginning verse 6. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. You overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me and have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through uh, through sorrow. Every day I call upon the Lord. I spread out my hands to you. God, where are you? Nothing. Verse 14. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me, afflicted and close to death from my youth up? I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friends to shun me. My companions have become darkness. That last phrase... In some translations read, darkness is my only friend. Darkness is my only friend. Why in the world is something like that even in the Bible? I, I don't believe that's in the Bible because it's teaching us that that's really how God wants us to come to Him all the time. That's not the point at all. I think these words express what that's all about. The very presence of these prayers in Scripture, and Psalm 88 is not the only one like that. The very presence of these prayers in Scripture is a witness to God's understanding God knows how men speak when they are desperate. And you know how most good folks respond to that kind of a suggestion? 
You can't talk to God like that. We've got to act like everything's good. We've got to act like my life's in order. We've got to be fine when we come to God. Do you not think God already knows how you feel? Do you not think God knows when you're mad at Him? Do you not think God doesn't realize your confusion and the questions of your heart when you're saying, why, God, why? Tell it to Him. Number one, He already knows, okay? And if you think you can just clean everything up when you go to Him in prayer and act like everything's fine... What makes you think God isn't looking at you and saying, why aren't you just telling me the truth? Why aren't you being honest with me? And number two, God can take it. He can take it. He's taken it from folks like the writer of the 88th Psalm. He, he took it from Job, at least he did for a while. But the whole point is you're taking it to God. And that's what he's telling us, I believe. He's telling us, I am your God. I am your God when it's blue skies and rainbows. But I am your God when you are in the depths of despair. I'm still your God. And I'm still there. And I still want you to come to me and I want you to talk to me honestly. And I want to tell you that is a praise to God. Now that's not usually the way we would think of praising God. But where are you going to go with that if you don't go to God with it? Do you think he's happy if you take it to your friend, your spouse, some stranger, a psychologist, a counselor, but you won't take it to him? It is a praise to him. Because... You know He knows. And you know He is your God. And He is there. He is there when you say your nice, polite prayers. He is there when you say the right things with the right words and the right phrases and the right ways. But He's also there when you can do nothing but cry out in anguish to Him. In your anger... And in your frustration, and in your heartache, and in your despair, you cry out to God. And it is a praise.
to him. The message of the Psalms, the main lesson of the book of Psalms, pretty straightforward. Praise God. What's faulty or falling short is our understanding. Our understanding that God wants us to come to Him every day, in every way, wherever we might be in our lives. And it's a praise to His holy name. Praise God. Thanks for being here.